Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 115 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. And we are running on a generator we right now. We are running on a generator so right now. So, before I left to come over here, I, uh, I said those magical words. I said, hey, Google, is it going to rain today? And uh, it was like, probably not. Yeah. There's a very small chance of it. And then I heard a peal of thunder. Yeah. And I walked up to my car and the sky was gloomy and I was like, are you sure about that, Google? Mm -hmm. And I got in my car, started driving, got basically to the next major road over. It starts pouring. Mm -hmm. I get to your driveway. It has stopped pouring. Mm -hmm. It's dry. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's just a little, tiny little piece of popcorn in the middle of, you know, middle of the sky. Um, I get inside. It now starts pouring at your place. Mm -hmm. We're basically just past our hellos and the power goes out. Yep. Then it comes back. And then it goes then out. Then it goes out. <laughs> and then it comes back really briefly, and then it goes out. And now it's out. And now it's out. So we have a generator running, so thank goodness for modern technology. Yeah, I mean, technically I could run everything here on battery backup, but the beeps alone would probably drive our entire listenership oh, yeah. just oh, yeah. insane. That's, that's no way to go. That's no so way. Uh, here we are, and uh, prepared and ready, and mm-hmm. uh, we have a show to do, because... As long as our generators hold out and the Empire doesn't take them from us, <laughs> we should be able to get through this podcast. We are but small moisture farmers, please. <laughs> there's a lot of moisture outside. Oh, God, there's a lot of moisture outside. Yeah, it's it's like 90% humidity. It's humid, and... too, man. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we are here tonight to talk about uh, the Star Wars RPG. Yeah, it's our uh, our, our show spotlight, our uh, system spotlight week, and uh, Star Wars is our thing. Now... There are multiple versions of Star Wars. Yeah, that was the, the, uh, the fir- RPG. The, the first so. thing that came up when when we were like, let's 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 cover Star Wars was which one? Well, let, let's start at the beginning. I'm uh-huh. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take us all back to 1977. Oh, when two years before I was born. Yeah, when A New Hope was released into the theaters, um, it was incredible. Uh, nobody expected how big it would really get, and it was 100% a space opera. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about space opera, we'll, we'll get more into this, but effectively we're talking about a fantasy story mm-hmm. that is dramatic with heroes, and we had heroes in it that were larger than life in these unbelievable battles and this galactic-scale existence, and it was it impressed everyone. And mm-hmm. so uh, it's been going for a long time and changed hands and and canon shifted and things have happened but yeah, it has it's not nearly stopped. faded into obscurity almost nobody knows what star wars is nowadays yeah except for disney who owns the <laughs> hell out of it uh and has been producing new stuff like the mandalorian which again is a totally different feel on the same s- space opera mm-hmm. uh, it's almost spaghetti western which is yeah. funny because that's a that that's a um a horse opera. Yeah, yeah. So it's the same thing. Like, n- nothing has changed about the core of it, and that's the key. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is it took 10 years before the first RPG of it hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mostly because of the timing of what was going on with, our, with, with games at that time. And what's even funnier was the only reason why West End even had a system to work with is because they originally had started building a 
system for Ghostbusters. Yeah, that was no, that was a wild thing I did not expect when yep. digging up the, yep. the the history for this was the Ghostbusters RPG. Yeah, so is they, what we have to thank for the go, for, for well, we have Wars. a lot to thank for the Ghostbusters RPG, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Like that kicked off so much. So in 1987, so between 1987 and 19, uh, 1999, um, West End Games had uh, the rights to it, and they had a D6 game that was based on that Ghostbusters uh, system. And what's funny is that system created what we now know as dice pools mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was the birth generation that was uh jonathan tweet who built the uh over the edge system and uh mark Reinhagen, who was uh vampire the masquerade world of darkness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so if you know those systems uh or have played in those you know the dice pool methodology that came out of that and that's really what birthed all of that so we have to thank ghostbusters not star wars but ghostbusters for all of that now for those of you in the in the audience who don't know what a dice pool is a mm-hmm. dice pool is when uh you have like a skill or an attribute or something that says you have like you know four points in stealth meaning you will take four of a specific type of die and roll all of those mm-hmm. um uh, it, rather than adding that number as a as a modifier to a single die or something like that. Yes, yes. Now, what's what's even better is, but just between eighty seven and nineteen ninety nine, which sounds like a long time, it was a decently long time. Mm-hmm. There were a hundred and forty source books and supplements and adventures. Oh, is that all? Another fifteen issues of a magazine uh, that came along with it. That was like an adventure magazine that was between ninety four uh, ninety four and ninety eight. Uh-huh. So one of the largest breadths of books. So it created. Uh, effectively its own canon. What's interesting was is that uh, Lucas had considered West End Games source books so authoritative that Timothy Zahn was hired to write what became the Thrawn trilogy. Mm-hmm. So it is as canon as canon can be for that time period. Yep. Um, and because of that, a lot of people looked back to those games and those source books and all of that as canon. Um, and then uh, West End... Uh, had basically went into bankruptcy in 1998 and lost rights to it mm-hmm. through the bankruptcy. And that was then wasn't picked up uh, until 2010 by Wizards of the Coast. So two years it went into obscurity, got picked up by Wizards of the Coast. And Wizards of the no, Coast ran with... 12 years. 12, I'm sorry, 12 years. You're right. Oh, wait, wait, hold on a second. Yeah, 98 held, to, oh, to so 10. Held, held until 2010. Okay, Correct. Yeah, so pit, lost in 1998, picked up in 2000. Yes. That's what it was, okay. So uh, we then have... Um, Wizards of the Coast picked it up along with everything else they were doing, and this was during the 2000 era of uh, D20. Open gaming license, the OGL craze, where everybody had their own uh, D20 games coming out based off of the 3 and 3.5 Player's Handbook. Yep, and then there was... During this, they had a whole bunch of uh, beta things that went on as well, which was big at that time. So there was an original and revised edition with 18 source books. They then did the second edition, which was the Saga edition, uh, which went with another 14 source books. Uh, and in 2010, they said they weren't going to renew the license on it. And kind of, it dropped at that point. So this this is actually the edi- the only edition I played. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed, this is the one I played. And I, I want to say it was probably the, f- the first version of the original... Uh, D twenty version. Yes, I don't, I don't think it, it was the. I don't think it had gotten as far as the saga rules or anything. Like that. Right. Um, I was fresh out of college, and uh, had a handful of friends who were like super huge Star Wars mm-hmm. nerds, and uh, that's I. I only played it a little bit, um, but I remember it. I mean, it felt like it felt like D and D in space. You that, know, that's with, basically what it was with the, with the D twenty rules. Yeah, so I was... mean, the saga edition actually leaned into miniatures even more, so it got more tactical. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. 
And what's interesting was is that that then kind of pushed its own thing. The the miniatures and um, uh, card games kind of started in in that time period. But the we're going to focus on just the role playing game because there's a whole tie miniature combat thing that happened um, at at various scales. But I'm gonna I'm kind of kind of lean away from that uh, and focus on when Fantasy Flight picked it up in 2012. Now Fantasy Flight. Um, created effectively three different standalone games that all used the same uh, rule system. Mm -hmm. They had little minor mechanics adjustments, but really they were all add-ons. They were things you could you could shift between between the three of them easily. Yeah, I uh, I remember seeing that at the uh, our, our FLGS, our friendly local game store, um, and thinking like, you know, maybe I want to pick that up, mm -hmm. you know, especially in preparation for this particular system spotlight. Uh, and looking at the three separate box sets and going, I don't, I don't, right. I don't know which one I'm, what is this? <laughs> yeah. It, and what's interesting was, is a lot of the game stores when they got those didn't know what to do with them, mm -hmm. but then got very quickly educated on that. They were just settings. That's yeah. all they were. Yeah. Um, so effectively imagine if D and D had released, um, a, uh, Never winner box set, a Felrune bug box set, and a generic box set. Right, right, and right, right. it was how do you want to play? Mm -hmm. You know, do you want to play in Forgotten Realms? Do you want to play in Faerun? Do you want to play in whatever? Forgotten Realms is Faerun. Well, general Faerun versus the you know ten towns regions, shall we say the Sword Coast? Yeah, because um, I'm thinking like old Faerun, uh, pre. Let's see. Well, I won't even get into it. You're going to get all game snobby. I, 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 I was going to try. My brain was like, ah, let's see, how far back do we want to go? And then I just like, no. You don't. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess you could have also done, they could have done like a Dragonlance edition, which would have been yeah. really cool. Yeah. Anywho, so we had Edge of Empire, which was basically um, shortly after the destruction of the first Death Star. Okay. Okay, so right, right after right New after Hope. Right after the first movie. Right, right after New Hope. You had Age of Rebellion, which was uh, basically the Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. Okay, literally follows up. And then Forced and, Destiny, uh, Forced and Destiny, which was just after the destruction of uh, the first Death Star and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because so it kind of follows into the same thing, but the difference is is that each one of those, each one of these book sets basically follow a different career set, I guess you could say, of gotcha. people. Okay. So you've got Edge of the Empire, which was smugglers and bounty hunters and outlaws on the frontiers. So played probably a lot like the Mandalorian does. Yeah, you'd you'd feel it that definitely yeah. that way. Asia Rebellion was um, rebe rebel soldiers, freedom fighters, very galactic. Yes. So yes. you know this is your tie, your X wing, your your uh, ship against ship kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then Force and Destiny, as it sounds, is the whole Jedi Order scale. Right. Okay. And Jedi sensitive people and uh, feeling out the Jedi Knights. Now there were two additional additive books that were kind of thrown in there, uh, which was Force Awakens, which were the events prior to the third Star Wars trilogy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then Rise of the Separatists, which was during the Clone Wars. So okay. it gave you a full breadth of all of basically the movies without a doubt. Um, the and all of these used a new pool system, a completely different system than the other two, but kind of made its own tweaks. Now, when it first came out, there was a lot of negativity initially. Hit oh, I by bet. It. I um, bet. People didn't like the way that it was being uh, put out, and in the testing, the initial testing, it, it really didn't play well. But 
every what was interesting was is that everyone who was a, who was adept at looking at a game system and knowing other systems besides D and D took a second look at it, started playing with it, and realized that it was a completely different way of using the dice to create fate and situations, which we see more commonly yeah. today. Like, we have games that involve a fate die or a luck die mm-hmm. um, or, or or inspiration dice that add bonuses to give the, to the players. But that's and basically kind of the... all, this, all this dice system is. Yeah, it's all it is is that you've got a base set of dice, mm-hmm. which g- give you a very limited breadth of how far and how many uh, uh, effective add-ons. So uh, effectively, instead of having a pool, a, a whole series of dice that you roll and, mm-hmm. and dealing with a whole a whole gambit of add-ons, you know, that can do things. It's a much simpler design, uh, almost, I would say, akin to some of the basic game systems where you have, here's your three dice. You, you can, a maximum of three dice that you can play with, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you've got something that'll benefit. We're going to exchange one of those dice for a higher value die. Yeah. So yeah. now you've got two dice of one value in this case, um... I think it's uh, you have d8s, yeah. and then now you have a different die that's a d10, 12. a d12. Yeah. yeah, and then oh, do you have something else? So take another one of those d8s and swap it out for d12. Mm-hmm. So effectively, your chances of getting higher numbers goes up because you now have the option for those. Right, but right. your the odds are 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 better in your favor. Um, and the dice themselves are not standard numerical dice either. Right. I would I would say that's it's definitely the the most intimidating thing about the game system. And I mm-hmm. think it's honestly the, the 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 dice system itself is really I think where the main focus of the of the entire system spotlight is because it's 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 where all the rules fall. It's where all the the adjudication gets done and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also the first thing you probably notice about the game. I mean, you, we can we can talk all day about other game systems and, you know, oh, they, they handle numbers this way or they handle attributes this other way or something like that. But um, when when doing any sort of research on Fantasy Flight's uh, Star Wars, you, you see this handful of multicolored, multifaceted dice. Yeah. And none of, there's not a number to be seen. Nope. There, none of them have numbers on them, and I remember prepping for this show initially and going, okay, i got to do some research on this so I can talk about it intelligibly, opening up this thing going, what the hell is this? How am I supposed to sort through it? And it it has – it definitely has a logic to it. Like, I think as a storyteller, as an experienced person who understands game systems – um. I was telling you this at that dinner, I think, you know, I, I, I would be able to run this pretty smoothly after a game session or two, um, knowing what dice to use, what dice to add in, which dice to exchange for other dice and such like that. Right. But I just, uh, to, to me, I really feel like it's a double-edged sword. Um, it adds a lot of complexity, and it reminds me a lot of Legend of the Five Rings, mm-hmm. um, would, another Fantasy Flight property. So, right. uh, you know, that, makes that, that makes a lot of sense that they would they would they would use some very similar mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, the the dice give you a lot more outcomes than just success or failure. Very much Correct. like Legend of the Five Rings dice system, yep. you've got that other secondary access of um, axis of uh, advantages or complications that get thrown in so you can succeed with complication or you could fail but open an opportunity for you know maybe somebody else to succeed correct or something like that and that adds a really great realm of complexity to how you adjudicate 
die rolls as a storyteller. Yeah. Because it allows for a lot more complex things than you win or you lose. Well, and the other thing about it is it's it's no longer a hidden die set behind a screen mm-hmm. that the DM's rolling going, oh, man, bad things happened. Mm-hmm. You know, or the player just failing in front of them. Uh, you know, I didn't succeed. What happens? It's I didn't succeed, but I have this exception that happened. Yeah. So I didn't succeed, but something good will still come of this and something terrible. Oh, no. Yeah. And so now the players yeah. are all they're looking at. The, two, they know two, what happened. Two threats, but a triumph. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so like how how do we move through this? Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I think in that sense, it puts the drama right back on the table mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of gives the narrator a chance to stare at it and go, all right, well, here's what happens, you know, or even the players to go, oh, well, I guess I just fell. You know, I, I didn't make the catch. So so did, did I just fall? Like, I think the dice in the like epicness of it explains much of what happens in the stories yes luke yes. falling but not dying getting mm-hmm. caught on the antenna in cloud city mm-hmm. you know um uh the the majestic moment of the force connecting with him in uh new hope mm-hmm. and him being able to take out uh the the death star um leia coming upon you know a, a ewok and it being you know friendly to her you know, th- little things like that where you're like, you know, your character's lost, mm-hmm. but you come across a fuzzy little creature who seems friendly. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, okay. So there's a local tribe of tiny bears, you know? And so those kinds of events now are on the table again. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I see, I see the potential of it as a, as a storyteller. And, um, I, frankly, like now that, now that I kind of understand how the dice system works in general, I'm excited by it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at, at the same time, I kind of look at it and go, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm switching my game over to Savage Worlds right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, so I'm very immersed in a very low, you know, rules light, mechanics light system. Mm-hmm. And I look at something like this and I'm like, this adds a lot of complexity in how you can tell your stories. Yeah. But you're going to have at least one player at your table three years into your game scratching his head going, I still don't know what the hell to roll here. But, but you're, you have that in D&D. But you, you, you have you that do. in almost every system. You do. And in some systems where it's more esoteric, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. Like, I can remember playing, uh, you know, White Wolf once a month and just having to dig back through the books to remember what all my powers did. Yeah. You know, it was it was never an easy task by looking at the sheets, but, like, at the same time, like, D&D gives you the same problem with commander abilities. Or any number of other things. You have to have a digital resource. Yeah, Yeah, spell list. I mean... Every spell in that book is a rule. Yeah, is a custom rule that Mm -hmm. can be extended or enhanced Mm -hmm. or any number of other things by other abilities. So it's just a stack on stack. So as much as as this system is is dice narrative, I I don't... I think you'd run the same risks that you run any other system that has complexities. That's, that's, I suppose, fair. I suppose that's fair. Um, so what are we, what are we talking about with these dice? You want to get in the particulars of it or? I kind of don't. You kind of don't? I don't, I, I don't feel that the, I think saying enough about them that there are, that the dice pools happen a certain way and that the rolls are meaningful in the sense that you not only have your, your success or, or failure state 
you know, where mm-hmm. you succeed or don't succeed. But you also have other things. For instance, there's the um, you have green advantage dice, mm-hmm. yellow prof, uh, 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 proficiency dice, boost dice, difficulty dice, challenge dice, setback dice, and then destiny tokens, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, the, just let's start up the Benny tokens. That's what they are. Bennies. They're Benny tokens. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, or woe tokens, but we won't really, well, it's woe in a different way. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's destiny for you. It's woe from the, from the storyteller's perspective. Um, and I totally feel that those are drama dice. I don't care what they say about those tokens. Okay, that's what, fair, that's what they are. Fair enough. Because you spend it, it goes to the DM. Uh-huh. They spend it, it goes to you. That That's how those games get played. Yep. And I, I like that. I've always liked that trade back and forth because you can see just how, how messed you are when you watch all the stuff flip mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and go to dark in front of you. So you have these um, green advantage dice, which are effectively your the normal dice that you roll for any challenge that you're going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those can then get upgraded by your proficiency in something right whether you have a skill in it whether you have something that bonuses it so it exchanges those green dice for yellow dice making them effectively better right so you're going to take basically your your d8 dice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're going to upgrade those to the d12 dice the yellow giving D12s. you giving you more um uh, ability to roll right better stuff yeah it also adds yeah, well can't even say higher numbers because there's not even numbers no you have a better chance that right. uh, of success um but also the but also a chance for advantages right other things so then you've got um your boost dice which mm-hmm. like if somebody's helping you correct would not give you skill or proficiency but nope. it might give you uh it's always your d6 that correct. you're going to throw into your dice pool right but then mm-hmm. but then so like i'm trying to sneak past a stormtrooper mm-hmm. right okay so maybe i've got three in what is it agility mm-hmm. okay and then I've got one in stealth. Yep. Okay, so. Stealth is a proficiency, so I'm going to start with my three D eight mm-hmm. for my agility. Yep. I'm going to swap out one of those for a D twelve because I've got one in stealth. So you're now two D eight, one D twelve, one D twelve as a now, pool. Rather than trying to roll like having the stormtrooper that I'm trying to sneak past roll his mm-hmm. own dice or anything like that, right? His abilities are going to get thrown into my die pool as negative dice. Correct. So if he's got like. A two in cunning and a one in I don't know notice. I don't know what the what the actual na- names of the skills are and something like mm-hmm. that in there. I'm gonna take two of the bad d8s yep. and one of the bad d12s. Your difficulty and challenge and throw those in there. Correct. And what those will do is when they roll their own value threats right. or disadvantage or whatever the number the names of symbols are, those are going to wash out any successes I make. And then we're going to take the net of what, what the came net out. positive, the Correct. net positive of any category. Correct. So successes and failures wash each other out. Mm-hmm. So if I roll two successes, he rolls one success. Then his one success cancels out one of mine. I end up with one. You succeed. Then there are threats and tr- um, advantages. Threats and advantages. Correct. Okay. Those cancel each other out, but and then there give are you, triumphs yeah. and despairs, which are effectively like crits, like crits, mm-hmm. and those cancel each other out. Correct. But you could fail and have a triumph. Uh huh. So that means that even though you didn't accomplish the thing that you were looking to do, you still had something epic happen in a good way, something that would benefit you mm-hmm. and your group. Um, you know. Maybe you weren't able to lasso around the at-at walker 
uh, when you were doing your, your swing shot, you know, and, mm-hmm. and flying around it on Hoth, um, you missed your shot, you know, the ca- or the cable snapped. But it puts you in a perfect position for your next shot. Yeah. So now you'll get an advantage on your next shot. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you were, it gave you a, an extra swing around it. You uh, or, not... you're, you're, uh, or he's out of position and, and have misfired. You, you, know? you, you turn the corner and you walk directly into a stormtrooper. The bad news is you failed your stealth. You have been detected. Yeah. The good news is he, he's just as shocked to see you, yep. and you caught him flat-footed. You get initiative immediately next turn. Yep. You get a surprise yep. attack on him. Exactly, exactly. It's it's the Han Solo chasing down the stormtroopers, yep. and then the woe on that would be you, you, you do chase the guys down, but you just chased him into a training room where <laughs> there's 40 more. Good job you caught him. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's the the game is always pushing the narrative. The mm-hmm. dice are pushing the narrative, which is something that you don't often see. You don't see that in in the way that play usually comes out. And the other thing about the game is is that it doesn't always require you to do a comparative role. Mm-hmm. It's just this is a stormtrooper, so there's going to be one difficulty die involved and one one challenge die. Sure, sure. So it, it, you can get it really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, some other things that are in the rules are also uh, some of the uh, bad guy rules of uh, you have your 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 basically your your foot troops who are who are pointless. They're not going to kill anyone. Mm-hmm. And then you have your henchmen and your villainy and right. what they can do as well and what their ranking is and how that that is taught is not unlike Seven C in the way that. You're, it's meant to be epic. So it isn't until you get to that villainy, that true villain that's behind the scenes doing all the things, or even their henchmen, you know, uh, you could call Boba Fett a henchman, sure. you know, where you're at sure. in it, uh, working for someone. Those are the people who are going to do terrible things mm-hmm. that are going to cause problems uh, and make changes and kill and do things like that. So that's the difference in there is that. Everything is meant to keep the story moving faster forward and make these scenes feel dramatic and epic and moving, which I love. It's cinematic. This yeah. is an exceptionally cinematic game. Yeah. Exceptionally. Uh, and it's meant to lean into that. Um, what's interesting is I, I, I pulled a couple pieces from the past. <laughs> Funny enough, Game Informer and Penny Arcade. Uh, Game Informer, when this came out, uh, in practice, the system offers tremendous flexibility to allow the players to participate in the storytelling process. I agree. Uh, Rather than just wait for the GM to respond after a die roll, the players talk together about how to interpret the role of the dice and shape the results to make the most exciting story. It also speaks strongly to the cinematic nature of the Star Wars universe. Characters in the movie often succeed or fail along with with potent side effects. And I completely agree with that. I think... This system leans hard into that mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. makes it. It even has, with the Destiny tokens, the ability to do dramatic writing. Dramatic editing, yeah. You can you can grab a, a Destiny token if you've got it and say, uh, actually, I did pack an L4, you know, explosives kit. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we're going to be able to blow the door. Great. You know, or, you know, but he does have a thermal detonator. <gasps> oh. You know, and... You, that's a that is literally what those are meant for, and I think that's fantastic. I, I almost just did the voice. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, and so I don't know what language that is, but I know that, that means I'm going to blow this whole place sky high. Right. <laughs> so, so I think as far as the dice go, it's about as far as I want to lean into those. But I do want to really get into what makes Star Wars different as an RPG. 
because it is the same and yet different. Because everybody looks at it as, oh, it's sci-fi, it's space. Yeah, all that is true. 100% true. Mm-hmm. But it's cinematic, it's heroic space opera. It's, it's, not, it's not sci-fi at all it's fantasy just because it's just because it takes place in space does not mean it's sci-fi like it's it's very space fantasy there's 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 no sci in it at all no there's no sci in it there's right down to there being sound in space (laughs) what what sound does a tie fighter make if you said any at all it's not (laughs) sci-fi i mean yeah and you can launch from from the ground to space yeah. with very little effort, as if gravity doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, they were in the belly of a giant space um, uh, space worm that lived inside of an atmosphereless uh, uh, asteroid. Sure. And it had an atmosphere on the inside. They didn't immediately decompress the moment they got in, uh, got out. I, I mean, there's something that could be said about that, but, you know, it's... Just saying. Yeah. It's space opera. Yeah, it's space opera. As much as Star Trek is space opera. Star Trek is soft sci-fi. Sometimes you get sucked out. Sometimes you don't. Some every planet has the same. It's soft sci-fi. It is exceptionally soft. Exceptionally soft sci-fi. But it is. I don't. I would. Please tell me what a deflector shield really is made of and does. (laughs) I can tell you what it does. I don't know everything. What it's it's made of does everything. Okay, it it does everything, but its primary purpose is to stop every last little piece of space debris from ripping holes in your ship when you're going to warp 3. 100% agree with that, on top of the electroplating and shields. Okay. Alright, I see see which side of the Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, fight you you I love both differently. No, clearly. I love both differently. It's fine. It's fine. But anyways. It's fine, Rob. It's fine. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a thing. No, it's fine. I can feel this. It's fine. So, the timeline that they have just for Star Wars is 25,000 years prior to the Battle of Avon up to, I love this, 35 years after. Okay. Now, canon can go a little beyond that, and there's definitely stuff beyond that. But what's funny is how many times it goes back again and again. We always like filling in the history of this. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of history in the canon, and I think that's always intriguing. That this is one of those games that, that one of those uh, canonic story and 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 campaign settings, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, in a galactic world where going back becomes the trope. Like, what happened before this? Oh, it must be this. Oh, what happened before that? It must be this. Mm-hmm. Well, where did this person come from? Well, they came from here. Which had this. And it's all about stepping further and further back mm-hmm. in the story. And it isn't until recently, really, that we've started to move forward. And that's when problems really come in. Because as you move, as we're moving forward through this canon, canon's changing. It's getting realigned by the new players who owned and, and are producing things. Yeah, yeah. And I always think that's interesting. I always... I look at that and I'm like, that's an interesting way to look. Because like, like, if you tried to say that... And we've seen it with D and D when a D and D uh, D does something in a game format and it doesn't match up with canon of the books. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of pissed off people. Like that is not that character. That is not what happened there. That is not the gods that would have done this. Yeah, I you know, agree. it's it's hard. Well, because you, you get, I mean, just just like with any fandom, you know, you 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 fall in love with an idealized version of of the media um, as as you experienced as as you had canon it and. Yeah. 
Um, you know, anytime a, a, a you know somebody then tries to put out something else for that, you know, if it if it doesn't align with those preconceived expectations you've already got yep. of of your own lived experience of this of this media, then uh, you can have some hurt feelings on there. Yeah, uh, I was recently watching a, uh, a and I swear to God this is related. Okay, um, the uh, the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, uh, yeah. They just recently re- uh, uh, OLED version. Yeah, right? they, they put out. They're putting out a new version of that has 4K 4K capabilities Woo. or something like that. You know, an, o- an OLED screen. And I saw a report. That, like there were a bunch of people who were genuinely like ticked off about mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. And uh, some some analysis of it basically going like, why are you angry? They're they're upgrading the switch, and it's because basically people had these preconceived notions of like the next major announcement from Nintendo should be A, B, or C, and then when it wasn't, they no, were disappointed. N- Nintendo never promised these things. Oh no, 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 no! Of course but not. People got it all blown up in their heads as Nintendo fans that they wanted this particular thing to come out, and that that should be the next thing that they mm-hmm. do. And then when it wasn't, even though nothing was ever promised. They they got up in arms about it. Well, we and you see the same thing happen with major properties like Star Wars. Oh yeah, where you've got a bunch of people with preconceived notions about how things are, how things should be, how things should proceed, mm-hmm. and then if they don't, fan writing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fan fiction. It's it is fan fiction driving it, and then not fan fiction in the like standard term that's being used around the internet where someone writes something, but legitimately like. Four people have an argument on a Discord, which then becomes a tweet, which then becomes, you know, a, a story on a on somebody's blog, which then becomes Game Informer or Otaku's headline story about a severe argument that's happening across the internet. When really, it's probably like four people. Yeah, you know, yeah. that now so, becomes a Reddit thread that's seven hundred pages long. Someone tweets it and like D- Daisy Ridley like likes it or something. Yeah, like that. Or, or no, doesn't. It's yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That yeah. kind of stuff and it's it's funny but it's it's the way it goes um okay so we're getting back to this um so when you when we talk about a star wars setting one of the things that i i i think that this leans into and i think that people really need to kind of attach to is the fact that it is meant to be space opera it is meant to be the the focus on a your sympathetic with a hero centric prop plot plot property and action and everything has to be slightly optimistic that's that's basically it the drama wraps around your central characters with an optimistic tone now it doesn't mean there's not negative drama but the overall feel of the plot is optimism it's hope it's a point of light in the distance I mean, the only reason I'm making the stinky face right now is mm-hmm. because my favorite movie in the entire series is Empire Strikes Back, and that is just literally two hours of the protagonist getting their asses kicked across the galaxy. Finding hope. No, I'm with you. But it's still in the... It, it is It is still a hopeful story. It is just the dark middle. Okay. I mean, okay. watch any soap opera. You know there's only three types of music in that. There's the discovery music, there's the shame music, and there's the, you know, and then there's the hopeful music that is either played in one key or another. It's the same music. Yeah. And it's played either when someone is injured or hurt in a in a different key, or it is the other key of hope and and what's next, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's drama. 
And one of the things that I love about Star Wars is regardless of the story that they tell, it's always there's a conforming establishment. There's a righteous, rebellious youth, and I'll use quotes on that. Sure. You know, and there's a return to balance, and the future is always unknown. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, I'll, I'll that's, that. That's, that is... That is... If you want to tell a Star Wars story, that's it. That's right there. That's Star Wars formula. Right there. You know, yep. I don't... I don't... I really... Like, no matter where you look, that's the story. Like, oh, let's go to the past, back when it's, you know, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, Okay. Was there a conforming establishment? You bet there was a conforming establishment. Mm-hmm. Were the main characters righteous, rebellious youth? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. pretty much fits everything. And then they're trying to return balance because there's something that's upset, 100%. And what happens in the future? Nobody knows, literally. Because there's just another dark edge to everything. Yep. There must always be two, and a master and an apprentice. The Sith are always waiting in, in the wings. There's always the darkness ready to creep in. All those things are always there. And that's what makes Star Wars Star Wars. That's what makes it different. That's what why it's a fantasy, but it's a it's a soap opera fantasy mm-hmm. that everybody wanted. And it it, it it took off because it was needed. Yeah. Okay. Right at the right at the height of, of the some of the best uh soap opera writing ever. Yeah, yeah. So I can see it. I can see it. Do you want to talk a bit about the game mechanics? Uh, I know we, we talked we talked quite a bit about the dice, but like character attributes and character creation stuff. Um, like that. a little bit. I mean, we you do have some some standard attributes because yep. you've got your brawn, your agility, your intellect, your cunning, your willpower, your presence. Um, I like that they have a presence stat, and not a charisma stat. Yes, because it's it's attractiveness and not in a um physical attractiveness way of doing it. Yeah, it's. It, it is poise. It is carry. It is There are but ugly tact. people who, when they walk into a room, people pay attention. Correct. And there that's are, presence. Yeah, that's presence. That's what it is. And I, I do like that. I also like that you have strain and wounds mm-hmm. um, and soak. And those are terms that are used in other systems very often. But the whole point of it is is that it is not a standard kind of hit point system. Yes. In that sense. Yes. Um, and I, I do like that a lot. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, the more the more I see um, game systems that don't use hit points, the more I like not using hit points. Yeah. Uh, and the the strain system, I think, is, is something I, I I really liked as well. So separating that from your wound points and such. Um, of course, you've got your uh, one of the one of the big things about uh, Star Wars, the Star Wars universe in general, is that you've got um, just countless different races that are all sapient. Um, and, and involved in there. So of course there's, there's, uh, uh, you know, different racial templates and stuff like that, that will modify your characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can make yourself more wealthy. That's yeah. the thing. You can, you can literally start wealthy. I like that system design. I've always liked that where you can literally just spend a couple extra points and now you're, you got more money. Um, they went with a career tree, which I think is interesting. So you have careers that create skills and specializations, um, and kind of fit you along that, but it doesn't mean that you can't have specializations that cross over or, or or skills that cross over between things. It just means that you don't automatically have those. You have to work to get those through other means. Um, so you you and you can't just buy another career. You actually have to buy the specialization separately. Um, and that you have, uh, because of that, you you can use the other books and integrate specializations and such uh, from the other books as needed. Um, so it, it it feels much more like a 
templated system, which makes it easier to get into, mm-hmm. but at the same time still gives you the flexibility to run away from the templates a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that's nice. And then, of course, you've got d- advantages and disadvantages, effectively. And really, it's just disadvantages for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which, again, leans into role player character. Mm-hmm. Like, I, again, that's a great thing. Obligations is a neat way of, of creating a a system where you have to you have you are compelled to do things. Yeah, the, so it adds a role playing element to that disadvantage. Edge of the Empire added obligations. Mm-hmm. Um, Age of Rebellion added duties, and uh, uh, for those of us who have looked into Legend of the Five Rings, duty and obligation is otherwise known as Giri and Ninjo. Yes, and that is your. Uh, you're, and, and it literally translates to duty and obligation. Right. It's a system lifted directly from there. Yeah. And uh, it's 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 a nice role-playing prompt beyond something like alignment or something like that. Because yeah. it gives you not only a character goal, but often these things can be in uh, in conflict with one another. Well, not only that, is it also allows the DM to set obligations on you as you start falling to the dark side or or getting more dark in what you do Mm -hmm. like oh you started doing these terrible things now you're obligated to do stuff for the the mob boss now you have duties to these other people that you don't want to do things for yep and that creates a whole level of of dark Mm -hmm. um and and you have to work your way out of those which is great. I, I think that's I think it's fantastic that you can spend experience to basically buy away your di- your disadvantages uh, because of of what happens through play. Force and destiny added morality, and I you made you made the kitty cat stinky face about that one. I do not like it. I don't like it as a system. I think it's way too gray, and I think the idea of adding morality as a mechanic in a game is a a bad idea. I mean, I, I see where they're going with it because the light and dark dichotomy of the Force always had a moral as a moralistic aspect to it. Yeah, and you know, doing good, selfless, generous things were considered light sided. Doing cruel um, uh, and you know hurtful things using the Force in a way to to bring pain to other people is, mm-hmm. a, is considered a dark side of thing. I get that, but there's been too many times where I've seen you know the hypothetical arguments of. Uh, well, actually, uh, Luke was a dark Jedi because he blah, 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 and just, you know, trying to basically justify, like, paint all of his actions in the absolute worst light mm-hmm. and use that to justify that he, you know, he inconvenienced someone at some point during the movie, therefore he's a dark Jedi. Or just, okay, it's okay to slaughter multiple droids, you know, who have personalities and, and existences, Yeah, but... You know, you barely injure R2-D2 and whoa, whoa, you've ruined a main character and that makes you dark. Like, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. Like, so so I, I just I just kind of see like codified morality um, and perhaps this is a, this is a whole future show in the making. Yeah. But, um, you know, codified morality can get can can become a morass real quick. Yeah. No, I, I, I think we could go far into this and and I just want to say that it's it's not something I think. I don't agree with, and I've seen a lot of people um, who are actually discussing it in system uh, talk about moving away from using the morality system and just using the obligation and duty system, hmm. just shifting it. So, like, I have a you know I have a, a character in my game who's a bounty hunter and she's doing a lot of stuff, but she's not force sensitive. But you know, I, 
I kind of don't want to use the morality system to try and get her to, you know, pull back. And they were like, don't. Use obligations and duties. Mm-hmm. Switch to the other system. You know, just use that instead and, and switch up to this. And they were like, oh, well, I guess I didn't even think I could do it that way. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do it that way. Because then it is still in-game. It is still in-system how it's being run. And the player can physically see where they're at on the scale. But it's no longer this ambiguous kind of thing, you know, of have I done enough good, you know, right, to, to counteract right. this. And now that I'm dark, is everything fueled by darkness? Do I have to lean into the darkness to do anything? Yeah. I, uh, I used force lightning on some dude on the corner, on the street corner. So uh, I'm going to, I don't know, donate a bunch of money and puppies to the local orphanage. And uh, there we go. Now I'm now I'm back on the light side, you know. Exactly. Exactly. It makes it, it, makes it transactional. Yeah. So... I'm going to say that the special thing about this system is the dice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I flat out, that's the special. Yeah, if, if you're... If, that, that's that's definitely the main thing that it brings to the table. I don't think it does... I mean, like, it really doesn't do anything much terribly different from other dice pool systems than, than that. But, no. But the dice it brings to the table adds so much cool complexity well, in how to adjudicate situations. And the way I see it is, it puts it back on the table. It puts the fate of the game and the drama of the table back on the table, mm-hmm. or of the game back on the table versus behind the screen for the DM. Like, the DM can focus on the story, but the drama that's unfolding is happening between the players. That's, that's one thing One thing I, I, I don't think I saw in, in the, the research I was doing. Is this one of those systems where the, where the storyteller never touches the dice? They don't have to. Yeah. There there's nothing there's nothing behind the screen. Right, right, right. So, I mean, I think there are some random rolls for like encounters and stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, that's arbitrary. Yeah. So Yeah. Um so yeah, I think Every, it, everything's on the it table. was more assistive than anything else. I think everything else happens in front of the players, gotcha. right between them. And I love that. I yeah. think that is fantastic. Absolutely. Um I think the disservice that it does is that uh it locks you into colored and specific dice. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That's the only thing that it does. So that you you can have your own Star Wars dice set, but uh, it's got to be the right colors and the right pips. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So, and that definitely would pull away from people having custom dice that you can't see in fudging rolls. Yeah. Everybody's got to watch that roll. Everybody yeah. wants to watch the roll. So, Destiny Tokens, great idea. They flip uh, uh, white to black, good yeah. to bad. Uh, they can be spent by anyone. Othello um, chips. Yeah, I, I love that. I think they're fantastic. So when you spend it, it just flips to black, and that's now the storyteller side. Yep. And they get to spend those uh, for different things. So I, I like that. I like that a lot. I've always liked the idea of, of being able to have drama move back and forth between the players and the storyteller. Oh, yeah. No, and no, be no, able absolutely. to actively see it change in the scene. Yep. You know? Yep, absolutely. absolutely. Um. So I think that's really great. And I, I love that you can do dramatic editing with it. I think mm-hmm. that's fantastic, especially because it's light. It's not directly game affecting. One one of the things they talked about was like, uh, you step off the spacecraft and recognize you're in a swamp area where the uh, where the air is not clean, and you're like, oh, that's a great thing that we bought those masks. Yep. Back at the uh, station, y'all didn't think I should have bought those. You know, go shopping, mm-hmm. and now now you spend one token and and you have them. Right. Great. Right. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the play moves on. Yes. So, um. Yeah. Anything else? What? Anything you wanted to add to that? Uh, no, not really. I, I, I really. Um, I think you basically said it all. I, I really like the Destiny token systems. I like how the dice uh, uh, adjudicate drama in a very non-linear, non-binary way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I would be uh, excited to take part in a Fantasy Flight game. 
Yeah, I mean, I would definitely want to play in this one. Um, I would never want to roll it. Run it. I might be interested in running it only to give it a kick, just it's, just to, to just to see how it rolls out. And I, I want to clarify: I would never want to run this, not because it's not because of the system, but because it's Star Wars, and I I'm not comfortable with the Star Wars universe and setting enough. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the group of friends I have, mm-hmm. uh, I'm definitely a low person on the totem pole as far as lore mastery goes. Um, and also just because, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't care. I don't have the passion for it. You know? I mean, it's, it's definitely not your bailiwick. It's, I would definitely say that. It's, it's not my bailiwick, but, but like, holy cow, I love the system. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? So if somebody were like, Hey, do you want to play? Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be at the table in a, in a heartbeat. Okay. 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 Um, that being said, I'm going to say that I like it. I mm-hmm. like the cinematics of it. I love that it's there's a lot of give and take that happens right in front of the players. Yes. Kind of, I put that out there. I think that's the overall feel that I get from this game is that it puts the narration back on the table mm-hmm. and lets the narration happen between the players and the storyteller as an add-on and then lets the plot be rolled out by the storyteller. They can literally just let things happen and then be like, okay, and now we're moving to here. And then now we're moving to here. So they're just setting the scene and letting the dice and the players play through it. Yes. And I think that's fantastic. Yes. Getting closer to that is the best thing you can do. And I think as game as game systems evolve, this definitely sits beyond uh, – sits, sits away from the tactical mm-hmm. 100%. Not that it can't be. But I think it sits away from the tactical far enough and puts it back into a narrative stance. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly the, uh, the 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 feel that I got from it. Was uh, it was very far from tactical. It's, it seemed very very narrative in uh, in scope. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just I. It, it seemed al- almost pulpy. Yeah, I almost, would almost pulpy, especially especially when when whenever you have the the storytelling edition of the whole like you have villains and then you have extras mm-hmm. like right there you've you've got me mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I I love that I love that pulp sort of delineation of like there are named characters and then there is everybody else yeah and this is a story about named characters yeah and that's that's definitely a thing I would definitely say that um. I said I don't care about Star Wars, and like the 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 Discord erupted. It was like several people are typing. <laughs> there, there's definite feels out there. There's definite feels there, out there. There are. I there are. I love Star Wars. I think it's fantastic. I wouldn't call myself a super geek in it. There are so, so many things I don't know mm-hmm. about Star Wars, but I'm always interested in. I love, I love how much has been created by it, and I love the stories that come out of it, and they are all large and hopeful and heroic, and that that makes me happy. I, uh, I I had a, a conversation with a with a, with a, fr- a friend and a coworker uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it was I I had become self conscious because I see a lot of people around me get very um uh, into a lot of their fandoms yeah, and stuff passionate, like that, yeah, very passionate about things. And when something gets announced for that fandom, like they get really excited mm-hmm. and you know posting on things and talking about it constantly. And it was so rare that I felt that kind of passion about like really any sort mm-hmm. of fandom mm-hmm. and i was like am i broken like am i Aww. am i doing something wrong that like i don't feel this level of excitement like about anything and she sat me down she's like it's just not your thing that's all like it's it's just not your thing and and i was like right but like nothing feels like my thing and she turns to me and she goes are you a davian or a Cretan fan i'm like obviously davian and she's like battle tech is, is your, your thing. thing i'm like oh okay that puts it in perspective yeah <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, just it, I just had to acknowledge a while ago that Star Wars was just not my thing, you know. 
and uh, but but it's a lot of other people's things, and, yeah. and I I like the I like the enthusiasm. Sometimes yeah. it's it's nice to kind of sit and bask in it. Yeah, you know. So final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. Um, I mean, definitely be prepared to roll up your sleeves if you intend to delve I into this game. I would agree. Um, it's not really for the faint of heart to be engaged with. No. Um, the the dice system is complex. But I think very rewarding to learn. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I would agree. I would agree. It's gonna take you. It's gonna take you a little time and a little mm-hmm. bit of investment. This mm-hmm. isn't. This isn't Savage Worlds where it's like you you roll the die. It says on your sheet. Oh, and if you're a wild card, add a d6. Yeah, you just learned fifty percent of the rule. No, it's not that. No, you know. Um, but I think if you, if you're a fan of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a fan of like narrative play and stuff like that, with yeah. with, with with really good systems like that, or if you're a fan of both, pick, mm-hmm. give it a look, pick it up. There's a lot of potential here. Yeah, I will say, just in 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 my first glance and and feel on this, I would say, be aware that the fan base is big and somewhat daunting. I mean, there are people who have very strong beliefs on what is canon and what is not. Yeah. Um, Yep. You know, I, I could, I remember you talking about wanting to run a Tron-like game mm-hmm. and being, your immediate concern was you don't have enough technical knowledge. I, I am the low person on the totem pole for computers as right, well. Right, And I think the same goes for like trying to do hacking and, and shadow run and things like that, you know, because again, you're, it's like you're sitting down and trying to run a pandemic story, mm-hmm. except four of your players at the table are biological science majors with specializations in infectious disease. Yeah. And so now you know the least like, amount. The disease them at the table. spreads like this. Like that's not no. That, that's, that's not, not that's not that's how not any of that works. So, <laughs> I would say that you know if you're if you're gonna step into that both as a player or as a storyteller, be aware. Yeah, and be kind. Yeah, definitely. People are telling a story. I mean, just lean into it. Yeah, just lean into it. Lean it's into fine. it. Let it go. Let things slide a little bit. Maybe help them out a little on the side, or or just accept that that's different wherever that stuff is going on. Things change, time changes, locations change things, you know? So Knox says uh that's a very diplomatic way of saying the fandom is toxic. And I, I don't think I the, don't think they're toxic at all. I don't think the fandom is toxic. I mean like it, with with really any community and I've seen this all over the place, um, for like various video games and such like that, you're you're gonna run into your into your toxic gatekeepers. Some communities are better about it than others, but ultimately I don't I don't think it's fair to label any whole community is toxic um the, the 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 problem is is that i think it's it's easy to stray into toxicity when you become passionate about something 100 percent. um because when you're passionate about something and then something does not you know meet your passionate expectations it's very easy to not shrug that off and say that's just this other person's interpretation, but rather to say you're hurting the thing I love. That's that's it right there. And and is if if you can be mature enough to sit down at the table and just say this is a Star Wars story, it is your Star Wars story, it's our Star Wars story, and it doesn't have to be George Lucas's Star Wars story mm-hmm. or Disney's Star Wars story. Those things don't have to match up. This can just be fun. Yeah. Then. You know, I I think you avoid all the toxicity right there. Yeah, and I I, I think that the whole concept of of um, actor toxicity that's happened is not a, a problem of Star Wars. I think that's a much larger problem. The MCU had it. 
the Star Wars has it. Anything that has a large enough fan base yeah, like, that has passionate individuals involved in it is going to have it. Yeah, like like I said about the uh, about the Nintendo Switch thing earlier. You know, yeah. people people shouting at Nintendo because they didn't release a new game when they never said they were going to release a new game. Uh, they upgraded their console and people were angry. I'm straight up going to just say that there's a reason why Sonic the Hedgehog got changed in the movie. Yeah. And that was because people griped about it, because it was not... People griped and bullied, yeah. Yeah, and they got what they wanted, and that went ahead and... uh, Give me a second, I'll take care of that. Um, And that changed the movie, which then allowed them to have power. Have the commons have power, and now that the commoners have power... They get a little power hungry. Uh, and so we're seeing that more and more. Right, right. But we got good questions. I want to get to questions. Yeah, definitely want to get to questions. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just say on the toxicity end, I mean, yeah, you're, you're always going to run into toxic people. It's probably a lot more toxic out there just like in the open Star Wars forums discussing it with randos on the internet via Twitter. But like if it's you and your friends at the, at the, uh, at the, the gaming table, you have that assumption of friendship. Yep. And if somebody does start getting a little toxic, just check them. Just check them. Just check them. Say, look, buddy, it's it's a role playing game. Relax, and go from there. Yeah. So, Overwatch, Star Wars has very uh, has every trope imaginable from smugglers, gunslingers, and crime lords to wizards, dragons, and magic swords, and of course, sci fi staples of robots, ray guns, and rocket ships. Ha, sci fi. Does a hodgepodge like this make the world building and storytelling easier or harder, and why? So in my... Okay, so if if you'd have asked me before I played the D20 version of this... Sure. Before college, I'd have told you harder, because there's so much stuff going on, how do you keep track of it all? Mm-hmm. Um... I had a long talk with a friend in uh, uh, in in one of my college classes. Uh, but he was he was the ravenous Star Wars fan, knew every last little bit of lore, and I kind of got into a why why do you like this so much sort of discussion with him, and uh, he kind of laid it all out for me. And then I just realized it's just D and D in space. You have evil wizards who kidnap princesses and take them back to their dark fortress. Uh, behind their legion of of evil minions, uh, and the, uh, the 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 hero wizard and the and his wizard's apprentice need to take their magic sword, and uh, you know hire a hire a smuggler to get them into the evil fortress to rescue the princess. Did I just describe a D and D game, or did I just describe the first Star Wars movie? That's a good question. Exactly, it could be either. So honestly, the the portability of tropes when you've got such a broad, um, a broad range of of things available to you in the Star Wars universe as canon, mm-hmm. uh, you can. I, I think the Mandalorian for me was probably the biggest uh, example of the portability of tropes, yes. because the Star Wars movie have a certain brand to them of high adventure, um, and then the Mandalorian was just like. Oh, and by the way, we can do Spaghetti Western as well. Yes. And it works so wonderfully, and I love it. It's my favorite Star Wars property. And I'm not, like I said, not a huge Star Wars fan. No. Mandalorian, mwah, chef kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because it was a Spaghetti Western. Mm-hmm. And it worked so beautifully. Mm-hmm. It know? really did. So that that's my answer. E- easier because of portability of tropes. I would say, I would have said before, like you, 
because I started with um, uh, Rifts, which okay. effectively has all of that. Sure. 100%, like everything that was stated here is in Rifts. Absolutely. And I will say that running Rifts was a challenge and a half. Because everybody wanted to be something completely different. Like I want to Glitter be this. Boy. I want to be this from over here, and I want to be this from over here. And as a storyteller, trying to say, how do I fit all these people together? Right. That was always running in my head: is yeah. how do these people fit together? Mm-hmm. Because all these people want to be whatever they want to be, and I have to accept that mm-hmm. in my story. Now, as a storyteller, I can say, this is the story I'm telling. Your character has to be part of this. You have to explain how you are all together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or I'm going to throw you in a situation where you guys are going to have to work together and then you're going to have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's where things really start to get gray because the one thing that Star Wars lacks is a consistency other than Empire, Resistance, and basically the Underworld. Those are your three layers. Now, you could throw in there the Force with the, the, the Jedi and the Sith as a whole different thing, but I don't necessarily feel that either of those players are are their own group. Mm-hmm. They are ab- above and beyond. They are separate Venn circles in this diagram. Yeah, yeah. But realistically, you're in one of those three circles. You know, are you resistance and part of the underworld, so you kind of cross those two circles and kind of puts you in a sliver in between those. So you're Han Solo-ish, yeah. you know, where you run stuff for the Resistance, but you really work in the underworld all the time. You know, are you underworld and a toady for the establishment? Right. Yeah. You know, and that's all of these kind of sit within those circles, and because of that, you really don't have a well-defined way of breaking up people other than to say your party is going to be made up of resistance members or resistance friendly group boom yeah pick pick your players so now you've can you can define it down a little bit but other than that it can feel very daunting mm-hmm. to try and figure out how to think so when they broke up the system into the three books they helped define that yes and yes. i think that's really where We're playing edge of empire this is a smuggler story. Like this there is you an go. underworld story. Yep. And know? then you can you can describe the feel. Yeah. You know, this is a heist story. Or this is a running from the law story. Or this is the get the man story, you know? Um, you know, or get the money story. You know, those kinds of things where you can start or we're protecting this town story. This is our, you know, seven samurai story, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where things can start making the changes. And I think it makes it harder to be able to narrow those people down but i think the way they built the system they made it easier they mm-hmm. they definitely they took the burden off of the storyteller a little bit in trying to pull the group together yeah so yeah, absolutely uh next question yeah go for it all right so knocks in the box asks and says this, is, this tie, kind of ties into overwatches uh in my admittedly narrow research of this game i kept seeing it described as lightweight however i can't help but notice the massive amount of rule and source books associated with it perhaps from all the new systems it introduces do you think games like this suffer from being too extra with features overstacking and layering like this it seems like the opposite of lightweight to me um so this this isn't a Star Wars problem. This is a this is a role playing games in general yeah. um, issue, uh, and that is that uh, once you put out your core rules, people want to know more about the universe. They want to know more about the systems. They want to mm-hmm. know um, 
okay, so you didn't include, you know, seafaring, you know, ship rules in your yeah. in your things. Well, okay, well, let's put out a whole pirate expansion for ships hey, hey, and stuff like that. What, what about Naboo? Can, can we see more about Naboo? Yeah, exactly. You know, what about so, the Trade Federation? Like, tell well, us there, more about the Trade Federation. There aren't stats for this particular ship in the core rulebook. Okay, well, let's put out a expansion book for everything that appears in this movie. You know, exactly. This is this is the Empire Strikes Back core rulebook. You know, yeah, where exactly. you can see all those, you know, ships and stuff like that that they were evacuating off of Hoth. Right. Um. So you run into this problem kind of all over the place. Um. And, but I don't know. If this is a problem really. It's on one hand, I understand where it looks daunting from the outside perspective. Mm-hmm. Um. That you have on uh on game systems in general, Star mm-hmm. Wars included. Yep. Um. It can be very daunting when, like, you look up on uh, D&D Beyond mm-hmm. and oh, you very see much so. that there are just a two-page list of source books for 5th edition. And you're like, what What do I need Where here? Where do you start? The core rulebook. Mm-hmm. That's it. Everything else is peripheral. Mm-hmm. Everything else is expansion rules to be added or disregarded as is applicable um, and if you've got players at your table going, well, actually, on this extra source book, page 147, it says, well, you're like, I'm not using the source book. Yeah. End of discussion. Yeah, like, that's it. Right right there. We're not using that source book. So what else you got? You know? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it, it looks daunting, but it's daunting in the same way that, you know, if 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 you don't have the expansion, store-bought's fine. You know, it's it's... It's it's not it's not a huge deal if you don't have all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I could have said the same thing when I got into D and D second edition. Oh yeah, uh, and you had all of the like Rangers compendium and the like every class had a book, mm-hmm. a full book mm-hmm. of new stuff. And it, I mean, there were cool books. Don't get me wrong. Like I I enjoyed the second edition books immensely, but at the same time, like it just felt like they were never ending. And I was like, holy god, like. I'm going to be collecting books at the end of time. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's just expensive. The 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 easy solution is don't. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Um, the next last question here I've got is from the Mad Elf. Uh, asks, uh, would you, uh, would, how would you put together a game without Jedi slash Sith or any other significant use of the Force? Uh, easily. It's called the Mandalorian. Well, I mean, yes and no. Well, okay, was, so there there's were plot devices. There is the child. But but the thing is is that that was the fantifical. That was the one thing that was fantifical in that story, but I agree. I 100% yeah. agree that the Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh the other element that you could say is Rogue One. Yeah, Rogue One. Rogue One really didn't have any any force use. It in had it. a quote-unquote force-sensitive person, but that's kind of questionable. He but, was just a badass who was blind. Yeah, he was a badass who was blind and pretty lucky. Yeah, exceptionally lucky. And, and had extraordinary faith. Yeah. Um, and until that faith ran out or until that, that, that luck ran out or, uh, and or, he had, and he had a heroic ending, but no, you no. know, he had to push himself to, at the very end to, to, to achieve his goals. Yeah. And I mean, those kinds of stories can exist very easily in a world where magic exists. You can have D and D games where nobody uses magic, mm-hmm. where magic is this ominous thing. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I mean, in, in my opinion, I almost think that that's a, I say better story. I don't know if it would be quantifiably better, but it would be a story I would like to tell. I have sincerely thought about running a and d game where magic is not the norm. Oh, I'm not even talking about mad, uh, D&D. 
Yeah. I'm literally talking about Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Where literally, like, no Force. No Jedi. No. Period. We're just, it's we're a just myth. going with it. With everything else, yeah, it's it's just a myth. Very much like the setting in The Mandalorian where, you know, uh, with, with think of The Mandalorian without the child. Yeah. It, it, then the Force literally doesn't figure into it. Yeah, he's running around with a lampshade. Yeah, exactly. So. It's, it, it, it's, it's now a sexy lamp. Yes. Um. <laughs> the, the leg lamp from yeah the leg, uh, yeah, the leg lamp from yeah. uh, from uh, Christmas story yeah he's running around with that and everybody wants it <laughs> yes exactly um but like to me like I always the the one annoyance I always have with Star Wars was that there was so, I felt like there was so much potential to tell cool stories about cool people doing cool things mm-hmm. um but it always got modeled up because a Jedi shows up and then like everything it becomes the Jedi show. Yes, and I and I kind of get that. Like the the core movies are about essentially the Skywalker family and their family drama destroying the universe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I kind of get it. But like, then you get ancillary stories of like this doesn't involve the Skywalkers at all. At all, this is happening on some other planet. And there's a Jedi. It's like, oh, come on, guys. Can we does not? Every Star Wars story have to involve. So just out of out of rebellion. <laughs> Out of the sheer spirit of 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 f you, I love that I, you use that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Out of the sheer spirit of rebellion, I I wanted to run a Star Wars story that just has no force in it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a myth or a rumor or however else you want to feel your 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 character feels about it, but no force sensitive characters whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did read about one person who ran a game on a planet that was forced to void. Oh, okay. Where, like, literally anybody who... The, the players who came on there uh, could not feel the Force mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. had been basically taken. And didn't explain why, didn't have anything, but basically it was, just, it was a Force devoid planet. Mm-hmm. And that was it. You know, it, it regardless if you were Sith or Jedi, light or dark, didn't matter. You this were was, a dude. It, you, you were just a dude with a lightsaber, yep. which still made you a huge, cantankerous badass, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of feels empty there. Grats you know? on your laser sword. Yeah, exactly. I mean, still cool. Don't get me wrong. Try blocking blaster bolts, though. Yeah, I mean, you can do it. You just got to be real, real crafty. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, yeah. Um. So next week, um, when uh, we're going to move on. Yeah, get a second. Uh, we're going to be moving on from uh, this and moving into plot hooks and breadcrumbing. And that's where, you know, they're terms that are used a lot. Um, in talking about narration and writing stories and getting things in, you know, sometimes they're referred to as either hooks or linchpins and like, how do you use those? Yeah. Basically, how do you, how do you put strings on your players and get them to dance like the puppet yeah. master that you are, but without railroading them and saying you have to go here and have to do this. So... You can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We broadcast on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And join us up on the Discord. You can find the link to our Discord up on our Twitter, uh, as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd love to hear from you. Give us some show questions and uh, join the discussion. We also would like to thank our named Patreon members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. We really appreciate all the help you do month to month that keeps this show going and clearly keeps the generator running. 
Um, <laughs> our pre-show music today was by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music uh, is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. Uh, you can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And as always, a big shout out to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends who sat with us over at the uh, at our tables over the years to sh- uh, give us all this experience to share with you, the makers of the generator who made this uh, <laughs> <laughs> made this show possible, and you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. Good night. Good night.